Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next podcast here at Trek of Apple. This is Kevin. This is Matthew. And uh, we're getting ready to start uh, the final season of Deep Space Nine. Uh, I'm excited. It's a, what, uh, I love Deep Space Nine, and I think the show goes out in a super high note, so this should be super fun to watch. We're also here with uh, Kelly, and we're all drinking Manhattans uh, that Kevin... Nicely made for us. Um, I don't know that that's important. I just felt like adding it. <laughs> no, bourbon and Star Trek. It's two of my. It's two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, yeah, you know. So season six certainly was a an action packed ending, and there was lots going on. And they sort of retook the station. They destroyed the, the minefield. No, wait. The I don't know what field. The, the, the they took out the orbital weapons platforms of Mutaka. Yeah. And uh, Dukat was possessed by the Pa Wraith and killed Jadzia. Uh, none of us were very happy about that, I think. Um, like, it, like, I understand Terry Farrell decided not to up her contract for the final year, and it's Terry Farrell's life, and she can do what she wants. And I, I know that comes off passive-aggressive, but it's not. It seems weird, you know, six months of work. It's like... Like, like just finish up. Yeah, unless there's... In any event... Um, I think the writers are to be faulted for deciding to kill the character. It's entirely valid that a that an experienced ranking officer would be promoted in the, in this situation. Like there would be a gap in the like it's like they would need she would need to be promoted to full commander or captain to do like to spread the talent around. Well, in some ways, maybe the Worf relationship painted them into the corner. You know that they can't. They're not going to get rid of Worf because they brought him on to save the show, and now that they're together, the only reasonable explanation for them being separated is that Jadzi is either dead or missing, or what? She could have been on assignment. That's what I'm saying. I think she could have been promoted to science officer, like to Starfleet weapons research on Earth or something. They could have been apart for a while. Right, right. But they were apart for a while. They were apart for like the first half of the war arc. And they just have her do a guest shot on the finale or right. something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's because of the symbiont that they killed her off. Because they could. Yeah. Well, sure. I mean, you know, it, it is potentially dramatically interesting to show us a new Dax, right? But, and if, this is none of which is to say that we did not like... Uh, who played Esri? Nicole, Nicole DeBoer. Yeah, Nicole DeBoer is you know cute as a bug's ear and, you know, a good actress. And so these are all good things, but... Uh, you know, so is Terry Farrell. All right, well, why don't we go ahead and get started. So let's all synchronize our devices, and we will press play in three, two, one. Press play. We get our recap of some very busy scenes. Um, I mean, it shows you. Uh, here, of course, is Barry Jenner, who just died recently. Rest in peace, sir. They're destroying their orbital weapons doodads with some so-so CGI. Uh, pretty good explosion. Goldicott gets taken over. Um, kills Jadzia. Maybe what bothered me most about the Jadzia death was all of the talk about getting pregnant was just cheap maudlin setup. Yeah. Within the episode, certainly... They, they pulled at heartstrings that did not need to be pulled. And, of course, she had a very good death episode, not five the episodes episode, Right, they should have just let her go then. God, that would have been amazing. Ugh. Because that actually made emotional sense with the... And, and with and with Worf's character. Yeah. So, the Dominion has been sequestered in the Alpha Beta Quadrants. Um, Cisco is going through sort of a, a deep spiritual transformation or something. You know, he doesn't know how to make it right again. He's going to leave the station. He's going to go search or something. I, I mean, really, at this point, he's just kind of leaving. Leaving. I, I actually liked the idea here. Like, there's something about the will he come back like when it's Picard being assimilated, you kind of know as long as as long as Patrick Stewart signs on the dotted line, the character will be fine. There's something interesting about the captain voluntarily leaving that feels like, like oh, that's really that's a bit 
intense. Like, that's just... It is unexpected. Or at least unusual. Well, and they give... Uh, there's interesting story opportunities because, of course, he's a religious figure and he's also abandoned Bajor yeah. and people are upset by this. Uh, so... Uh, okay, I like I like this opening. I like the idea that Kira's been promoted. She's a colonel. She's yeah. a colonel. And whatever else you think about their romantic relationship, the actors themselves have a good rapport that when it was just when he's like teasing her a little and goes, Well, Admiral Ross, excuse me, Bill. Like he's 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 teasing her a little about her increased about her promotion, and that feels like something friends could do. Sure. So that that played beautifully. They didn't need more is yeah. the thing. They could just have an evolving friendship and be closest friends. It Wouldn't it be better, Kevin? Won't you admit, it would be better if he just pines for her the whole seven seasons? I think it was actually better when he stopped pining for her. I, sure. th- I find men pining for women to be one of the most narratively barren spaces in fiction. At some point, you, I, you, you like... What is with the hair? <laughs> oh my goodness. The braids? Give me a break. It was Without the, the braids, it's really cute. Yeah. It's the 90s, okay? A lot of things yeah, were happening. Yeah, give her a choker for crying out loud. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, at some point, I really think after a fixed, after a certain quantum of time, if you are still pining for someone, you are choosing to hurt yourself. You, you, you are actively sustaining a thing that even when you don't, like, like, attraction is an emotion that fades even when you don't want it to. Well, and that's what makes it so unrealistic that it could somehow grow. Right. You know? Either you got it or you don't. We just watched the Friends episode with the friend zone of, what is it, Ross and Rachel? Mm-hmm. You know, they should never have gotten together after that episode because friend zoning is definitive. And apart and together. Yeah. And apart and friend zoning is definitive. It is irrevocable. And any attempt to change it just results in disaster. So saith me. Convoy duty lasting 10 days. It is nice that Worf is really pissy. Yeah, no, it, this that feels credible. Like, you would be pissy. Well, and you know, this is post-traumatic stress. He's he's lashing out in other ways, you know. And he's now lost two strong, beautiful, uh, wonderful women. I know. Women. Oh god, I, I would love like there should just be like a like an episode where Jedzia and Kalar just like get to run around in a shuttle causing mayhem or something. Like it just. Uh. I also like that it's being reflected. There is a there is a prophet vision that we would actually want to watch. <laughs> yeah. With Jadzia yeah. and Yeah, Kaler. God, that'd be great. But I also like that it's being filtered through his Klingon cultural values. Like, yeah. Worf doesn't want a safe job, and that's where he's choosing to focus himself. But I will say, all of the characters are a bit adrift because they've lost a friend and colleague, they've lost their captain, war yeah. is stressful, and all of the characters are reacting in very credible ways. Absolutely. Like, Nog is concerned, uh, O'Brien is comforting like those are those make sense all right so let's discuss cisco's creole kitchen well, we discussed it during okay dur- it's the 24th century <laughs> like it, the i suppose you could argue and and we discussed this in Homefront paradise lost ostensibly uh joseph cisco derives pleasure from taking care of people yeah. in this way and people must like the break in the monotony of replicated food that, that has to be it. So, yes, there is a joy in creating food. Is there a joy in serving food? <laughs> in wiping up food? No, no, is there a joy in wrapping napkins in just that certain yeah. way? Like, <laughs> is there a joy for side work? I, you know, having been a server, I can tell you, it is not joyful. If the alternative is being at war. Not true. Are these vital positions that... Well, that was interesting. So the baseball is still symbolic. And here we have our eponymous vision in the sand. It's amazing how Bajor looks nothing like Southern California. I I have lots of thought. I, we were discussing this before we started. When I tend to do a DS9 rewatch, I'll watch like 
here and there through the earlier seasons, and then maybe I'll watch most of the sixth season. And when I come in to watch the seventh season, I tend to jump right to the final ten-episode arc. I don't really rewatch these three, and partly it's because I the, the opening trilogy, because I find them weird. Now, are we supposed to understand that as Jennifer? No, no, I don't think that's Jennifer. That, that eventually is revealed to be Sarah's sister, so I don't think that's impl- implicitly Jennifer Oh, that's Jennifer his mother? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that is, uh, if, if the, the only other role I re- clearly remember this actress from is the uh, nanny in uh, the first few seasons of Mad Men. He was on Tyree. Where is Tyree? Is that just some place? So, it sounds alien? It's probably near Nimbus 3. Yeah. It rhymes and is also a desert. In the rhyming desert nebula. You know, I, I, I go back and forth on how I feel about these episodes. On the one hand, I, I, I'm never hypercritical of a good faith reach. Like, I don't think these episodes were lazy or dumb or phoned in. Absolutely not. No, they're definitely trying to... They're full of stuff. And it's like, is it? does it all succeed? I'll, I'll, I'll come to an opinion by the time we're done. But I suppose I can't... I appreciate that they're not just doing... Well, I'll put it this way. We agree that what they've been doing has been working, and they didn't rest on that. They didn't just do another chunk of war. Mm-hmm. They've, they're pressing the story in different directions, and I suppose I can't be mad that they're trying. No, if they had only resolved the Dominion arc, that would have been a whiff on the first three or four seasons of the series, which had all this Bajoran religious stuff. And, you know, so I, I do appreciate that they're going there, that they're going for, you know, something grander, something that does not abandon the premise which seemed to be failing ratings-wise yeah. initially. It's like the writers I, and the creators I, of the show... Just going to jump in. I really wish they withheld yeah, Esri's Cole. name for this. I understand it's a pain in the butt to make two different versions of the opening credits, but you can do it. Yeah. And it would have, yeah. No, I agree. Um, you know, it shows that the people who are the stewards of this version of the franchise care about it. You know, let's let's put it this way. In comparison to Enterprise, uh, you know, the way the ending of this was handled was respectful of what's gone before. Whereas the, the finale of Enterprise, which was penned by the two creators of the show, uh, you know, seemed completely disrespectful yeah. of what had gone before. And I think that was just a measure of how tired Berman and Braga were. Yeah. That they, you know, they, they were so tone deaf, you know, to the problems of that finale. Um, you know, the point of Enterprise was the, the beginning of the Federation and how this ship plays a pivotal role and how this crew plays a pivotal role. And then they just, like, fast-forwarded through it and gave us a lukewarm TNG episode. Yeah. What's the point of Deep Space Nine? I mean, I think it's to show what a world is like in this universe, a world that doesn't have all the, the luxuries of the Federation and a world that doesn't share the values yes. as, as a whole of the Federation and whether they can integrate what, you know, what kind of life they have in this universe. And season seven of Deep Space Nine, whether it succeeds or fails, it at least tries to wrap up that story. Yeah. I also enjoyed this subplot. It's, it's good. It's credible politics, which, which uh, Ron Moore is good at. Like, like the little touches, like I'm here. I'm only here really as a courtesy. This decision has been made and, uh, of course, it feels problematic that a on and off again foe would have a apparently permanent military presence in your space and all of those things. I will say, and I, I'm sure we've discussed it before, but that is really the best admiral's uniform. Just the gold seam work and the piping is all the frill you need. Otherwise, it is just a paunch hiding jacket for a middle-aged man, and it really succeeds. Well, so just let's why don't you summarize for everybody what the political scenario is here. You know, what's with the occupying? Oh, so uh, the Admiral's telling her that the Romulans are going to have a permanent command presence on the station to help organize their contribution to the war effort from deep, as relevant to DS9. Okay. Kira's upset because that feels like an outside force gaining a toehold, and she in particular would, have, would be sensitive to that. 
she's afraid that even after the war ends, the Romulans will be like, oh, well, we've already decorated, so let's just stay. And I, and particularly for Kira, I think that is a credible reaction. She would not have the we're all friends now attitude. And so it's everyone's, like, Ross's position is credible. The Romulans have made what appears to be a reasonable administrative request, and we need them. And Kira's uh, fears are credible because her people have been down this road before. The apparently credible, like, the benign, in, if like, toehold blossoming into something much worse. So you have two people with legitimate needs clashing. That is the source of good drama. No one's shouting. Um, and then we get Wei-Yun and Damar. And I would just watch these two snipe at each other forever. Like, if they ever mounted, like, a Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf with these two, I would go. Yeah, so, you know, we saw Casey Biggs uh, and uh, Jeffrey Combs at the convention. and Both are, they seem like very impressive people and actors. Uh, I like this. This is like... Uh, it's like playing Fallout or something. Or like the, like the high-end version of uh, the hardest rendering software. <laughs> um, it's got quite a battery pack or whatever going on in the back there. Yeah. Uh, you know, got some nice future computing. Uh, Touchscreen. Uh, and, and a good visualization of it for the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to wonder how much you really recognize a disembodied eye. Right. Uh, anyway... Um, they're sort of introducing the Casey, not Casey Biggs, the Damar drinking angle. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's also undergoing some post-traumatic stress from having killed Ducat's daughter, Zial. Um, it's good CGI. It looks like really... No, it's well done. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Wayun is Wayun. I mean, he's just loads of fun. So that's an interesting composite photo. I wonder if that's uh, really Brock Peters as a young man, hmm. you know, merged in, or if they just found it a picture of her reasonable yeah. lookalike actor. Yeah. That's a nice jacket too. Brock Peters really has nailed this, you know, like. Cranky. Almost crazy old man upset about something. You know? Like like it's it's like one step back from Grandpa Simpson, and that's why it's like you buy it. Like you buy his, he's upset and doesn't want to talk about it. So the wedding photo as publicity still <laughs> for a TV guide, yeah. And apparently there was a kerfluffle because they didn't pay for her image rights for this episode, and yeah. that's why. Uh, among other things, she is not in the uh, finale at all. Hmm. Warp's pajamas seem very buttoned up. Well, he's a very stiff guy. I'm just saying, if any people sleep naked, it's the Klingons. Well, with all those redundant organs, they should never be cold, right? Yeah. So, Vic Fontaine, I like him better the later on it gets. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think his sort of nadir was, you know, when he was somehow reprogramming everything and jumping from program to program to get Kira and yeah. Odo together. Yeah. Now he's more of like a a good version of Joe Piscopo's comic or something. Yeah. <laughs> Sing. Gesundheit. Thank you. You know, it's a it's a pretty good look into the Worf character to see that he's coming here to unwind. Well, it's because this is Jedzia. It's revealed this is Jedzia's favorite song. Yeah. Well, and it you know of course it fits the song. Yeah. You know the the sort of mournful bluesy jazzy you know thing. I, you know, what's the name of the actor here? The crooner? Oh, uh, James Darren. 
I'm not going to budge from my opinion that he's sort of a low-rent rat packer, you know, in terms of skill. He's just kind of so-so. I mean, he's got the look and the, the patter and stuff, but the vocals just don't do it for me. I mean, I'm happy if he's, you know, selling albums and Star Trek fans enjoy him. And It's too bad they don't have a counselor on this ship. <laughs> but of course, we don't want to go there. Because who knows what would happen if they got Counselor Troy into this scenario. <laughs> I kind of wish someone had mentioned Kalar. That someone had acknowledged this man has lost two women in his life to violence. Yeah. Like, I also would have appreciated some look into the Klingon psyche per se. Like, their grieving process is necessarily different, not just a result of their culture, but of their brains. Yeah. Uh, this is Megan Cole. She played the stern, unsmiling androgene in yeah. the, uh, Outcast. the Outcast. Yeah. And she's completely recognizable immediately as yeah. the same actress. Yeah. It, part of it's her voice, but part of it is the makeup is almost identical. Similar. Yeah. This is a nice Bechdel test passing scene. Um, I like that they spar, but achieve until the big betrayal. Dun dun dun. Um, a kind of rapport, like it. Yeah, I'm afraid it's well learned. I mean, she's she's a very conciliatory Romulan figure, yeah. at least on the surface. I kind of wish, and I'm not saying it should happen here, but I kind of wish there had been like a a recurring Romulan character that we could really get into their cultural psyche. Yeah. You know, maybe even like a romance to see what mm. they'd be like in a relationship, you know? Because um, they should ostensibly have the passion of Vulcans without the control, or a different kind of control. <sighs> Did you think that was unnecessary name dropping? No, no, no. I don't mind that at all. Um, I, I'm just having a difficult time accepting why this matters. It's a holographic yeah. bar. Just reset it. Yeah. yeah. And Worth knows that it's a holographic bar. Well, no, I I buy that. I buy that Worth wants to just blow off some steam and bust some shit up. But why? That's what I mean. Is like. They don't even have to worry about, like, what does this mean for Worf's psyche? He knew it was a holographic. Right, record. like, this is him finding a healthy outlet? Okay, I get what you're saying. Well, my but my thing is, Vic Fontaine is saying, I refuse to sing, you know, all the way again for him. Like, he he's should a, know. He's a hologram. Yeah, he should know we can just reset well, it. if he's more enough of a hologram yeah. to have a feeling about it, then he should know that Worf needs it, and that it doesn't matter if he trashes the joint. If he's less than yeah, that, it's, they can just reset They're him. trying to shorthand Worf's PTSD, and it's mildly effective. It's a thousand times better with Nog in uh, It's Only a Paper Moon. Yeah. So here's some jammies for you. Yeah. I think those very are... very comfortable. Is that yeah. Garrick's top? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's got the same... Maybe it's tailored pajamas yeah. by Garrick. I like the robe, though. It's a good robe. It's got... It's got drama and movement. Is it, though? I mean, it's dramatic, but how do you close it? That is a lot of piping. Yeah, I mean, Brock Peters is, like, on the edge of senility here. It, it's a very effective, emotionally disturbed older man. Yeah. I mean, not disturbed in the, you know, like, biological sense. No, no, yeah, yeah. He's disturbed by the events. Distraught. There. Yeah. I really like that that patio. It's a good, it's a, like, it's a, it's really well achieved. So they have weather control here, right? And they know when to take the chairs in for rain. <laughs> June of 31. Is that 50 years ago? 40 years ago? Well, some... This is like 78 or 79. Something like that. Well, Cisco's uh, 
shy of 50, but not by much anymore, I think, right? I suppose it's been seven years. I guess we could take them to be early 40s at the beginning yeah. of the series, or at at yeah. earliest late 30s. Hmm. I do have a question. This is how you can tell these writers grew up before the internet. I I don't think you could pull off that kind of charade now. In the 24th century? In the, in the 21st, let alone in the 24th. Like, you're asking not just... It's not like you go... It's not like you're confined for six months and come back with a baby and no one talks about that you're raising your daughter as your sister or something. I mean, this isn't that. Like, I, the, the informational interconnectedness of our society today would make that almost impossible to pull off because not only do you need to keep it the facade, you need everyone you've ever met who you introduced to your first wife never to casually name drop her. I'm just saying. Well, which is, you know... This is what, one of the big problems we had with, what's the episode, uh, the Loxana show? Oh, uh, Dark Page. Dark Page. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting story. Yeah. Kelly and I are watching Veronica Mars, and there's a very sort of Veronica Marsy aspect to it. Yeah. You know, like long lost mother that was kept from you. Okay, whatever my issues with the structure uh, of the mystery or the reveal or what have you, great scene. Brock Peters is selling it. I don't know why. I like that he calls her mama even as an adult. I find it's it's, it's a little shading. Imagine scenarios in which a family would get away with this, but probably not this scenario. Like, if you move to a different place, and, yeah. you know, you didn't have a whole lot of extended family. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It, I, I complete uh, What saves So it this, would be better if he had moved to New Orleans as a change of life or something. Right, right. You know, it's like I, I, I looked around the galaxy for a place where I felt anywhere near as close to home as with What's-Her-Face. Sure. And this is where I landed. And I opened the restaurant. Yeah. Or something. So, I mean, look, we know where this is going. Uh, and that raises a how, lot. How do you feel about where it's going? It's... A spoiler alert, everybody. Sarah is actually somehow the prophet's... Getting pregnant with, I don't know, getting pregnant with with Benjamin Cisco by this guy. Like if Sarah that they jerk Sis around. yeah, if Sarah Cisco were a fabrication of the prophets, it's still kind of a dick thing to do. But it feels like they like possessed this woman and used her to conceive a child, like and then just... killed her. So, so you're reading it as she's an actual human, right? Who's possessed in the way that. Pirates right, right, or like, like I, I don't necessarily think her death had to be profit engineered, but still, like, something's weird. Like, I, I got the impression that she was just a profit construction, some manifestation of the profits. Yeah, now that's that's less horrifying because then at least technically there's more consent to go around. Hey, a jump stick. We haven't seen one of those in a while. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought I'd see that either. It's like a rocket pop, like made of gelatin, or... You know, I kind of can't get past the androgynous alien thing. I, <laughs> I feel like she should be sort of a lesbian or something, and I don't know. Uh, they eventually recast her with Adrian Barbeau for Inter, Inter Arma and Um Silent Legis. And I like I like Adrian Barbeau. She's, a, she's really good at it. Um, I like I like Megan Cole here as well. She has a very distinctive presence and voice. Yeah, I just she's so distinctive that I can't get past the you know. I mean, I prefer this character to angry Andrew Jean and um, sure Outcast. 
Like, I want to see a Romulan unwind. You know, like have a drink. Yeah, for the they're people, supposed to be passionate, right, and they the, ended up coming off like warmed over Vulcans. Yeah, for the people who broke with Vulcans for want of uh, getting on board with their pacifist logical philosophy, they never really lose it. So they're having a uh, an intervention, I guess. I mean, the mechanism with the holodeck thing is silly, but getting past that, this is credible. O'Brien is his friend. He, yeah, from the Enterprise. He is, he is concerned about his well-being. <laughs> and Worf does, and Michael Dorn has always done a great job with the stern straight man. You know. And he is willing to drink, you yeah. know. So either on some level, <laughs> I enjoy it. Like O'Brien of all people should bring up Kalar. Yeah. What? Or maybe he would know not to, at least not to him. He should mention it to Bashir. I like the name drop of Lieutenant Barkley. Yeah. I read an article today. Uh, positing that Star Trek does not handle mental health issues well, citing Barclay as a as an example. I'll, I'll send it to you. I'll be sure, curious. I'm interested, but of course, if you want to go with mental issues, you got to go with statistical probabilities. Yeah. Well, were, were there two episodes with those characters? Oh, uh, statistical probabilities and chrysalis. Yeah. Here's her first appearance of Quark. It's been a while. Yeah. In this episode. No, no, he was in the hall suite with uh, Bashir. Oh, okay. Hey, he has a son, Alexander. <laughs> Growing up in Russia. I miss the Roshenkos. I believe the actress who had played uh, Elena Roshenko had passed away by this point, and that makes me sad, because she... <laughs> There's something about the idea of Worf having an overbearing Jewish mother that makes the world feel very right to me. So Worf has a definite belief in Stovokoria. Given his spiritual journey... I was about to say, yeah. Do we, do, do we believe that? I accept it as an avatar for actually dealing with his grief. Okay. See, you know, the reason I ask is because, of course, we have uh, Rightful Heir from TNG, right. in which his religious faith is kindled and then extinguished. And then he sort of comes to a, an enlightened sort of secular Jew type of thing. Right, right. Which is, you know, well... It's important for the culture, so let's go with it. But he, you know, it's not like he believes. Right, that. right. I think it's a, I think it's his survivor's guilt about not being able to have saved her. Okay. Like fighting a great battle in her name is a culturally relevant way for him to assuage his guilt. All right. I mean, it's certainly an interesting aspect. I mean, it's, of Klingon it's, mythology. Yeah, it's, it's not off the wall. I mean, there are people who respond to personal loss by suddenly getting more religious. Retreating to religion. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I like the aspect that it's similar to, like, an indulgence or something. You know, yeah. To get someone out of purgatory. Uh, here we have our cleaning... Do you clean clams or oysters? So, I want to say those are... They must be clams. You wouldn't clean the outside of an oyster. Right. You just eat the inside. But clams you might cook with the shells. Like, are they real clams? They got them from the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of stupid to Who replicate. fishes? You know? Is it robots? <laughs> Is it holograms? I like that that's your question. I, you know what? These are the things I think about when I'm watching Star Trek. You know, when they're out in space, you don't have to think about these things. But, you know, this is a world without want. Is a live-caught oyster really... That much better than its replicated counterpart. You would think that a replicated clam or oyster could be perfect every single time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I don't buy this 
bullcraft. It's like, oh, it's just not the same as the real thing. It's like, no, it should be better than the real thing. But, you could have a chicken wing with no gristle. You could have a, yeah. a you know. Ah, so ancient Bajoran writing. See, this is what leads me to believe that she's a fabrication. Outright. Yeah. Okay. That. Thank you. That actually makes me feel better. Because what I was picturing, what I was picturing was like a human woman getting possessed, waking up two years later, and be like, "Oh, I had a baby and I got married. Oh my god, I feel like my personal integrity has been super violated," and then leaving. And she dies in a shuttle accident. Yeah. <laughs> the the one remaining accident that can kill people. Yeah. In the future. Well, this was a hovercraft. Here's our multiple pad research. Oh, it's so cute. You know, I, I kind of wish they'd established, like, there are six orbs, and here's all their names. Right. In some prior episodes. So we don't have to play catch-up? Yeah. Well, because it just seems like whenever they introduce an orb, it's like the orb of plot device. Right. You know? It's the orb of time. It's the orb of regret. It's the orb Perhaps of... That's why they didn't give you a list of all of them, so they could constantly... Well, but isn't it more impressive when it seems like there was a pre-existing plan? The well, final five? The, the... Yeah, well... <laughs> yeah, Ron Moore has not been good at sticking to seeming prior plans. Don't you think they could, like, transmit these reports... To people's individual computers. I imagine there's something about the. Oh, I, I mean, yeah, sure. There's a communal aspect. She's actually not androgynous, is she? I mean, she's got some boobs. I mean, the wig isn't doing her any favor, yeah. but. I always wish they would better define the Romulan government structure, because as I've learned, pro-council is just a council, like a former council who has been sent to a province. Yeah. He is a provincial council, so pro-council wouldn't actually be the highest level, it's just one more syllable than consul. And I really wish they had kind of dug into what her role as a senator is. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine a future society having the same uh, sort of path of service that that they would for the nobility in Rome. Right. You but know, they that, keep like multi-job. Right. And they, and they, yeah, the curses on Rome. Yeah. The curses on Rome. Now I just wish they had better. I just wish they had clarified it because I think they think they're just borrowing it for convenience. And oh, I they're really just borrowing they, names. Yeah. They I, sound cool. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So when did Kira's uniform change? Cause this is super attractive. This is a new, new one. This is, I think a new one for season seven. And does it doesn't look much like a uniform, but it's very flattering. No, yeah, it's, it's she's it's, definitely shed her baby weight. That's for sure. Hey, we got General Martok. That's cool. who doesn't love General Martok. And he's still missing his eye. Good, good catch. <laughs> well, I'd like to think that the makeup's just sitting there. It's not like the appliances are. Not if I kill you first. I've always liked his martial arts jammies. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're flattering. I like them in the white and maroon, but in the black and gray, they're, they're yeah, super it's, flattering. It's a very, it's a nice sort of pop of lightness. It's a good contrast. Deliveries? We assume that sign is a holdover. But from when? But it says Siskel's crew. I don't know. Is there like a UPS guy delivering clams? I suppose transporters might be like... Would that ruin the taste of the food? Well, no, 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 because it's an atomic... Well, no, I mean, Starfleet gets near unlimited use of transporters for professional reasons, but you figure, do civilians have that kind of access? It sure seems like they travel with use of transporters. Okay, look, I mean, I've given this some thought. And, you know, it seems to me there has to be some central board 
that allocates people the use of these future technologies, right. you know, and like your job or the amount that you contribute to society grants you certain. Right. right. Or like the know, niceness of your house or something. Well, I've, I've always felt that real estate would be the one scarce commodity right. in this society. Or at least even real real estate. I mean, you could live in an orbital compound or something. Sure. Well, Yes. How did Harry Kim rank that? Apartment? Yeah. How did Harry Kim get that sweet ass apartment? God, that, it I, was I, an alternate. It was an alternate universe. Like I don't even want to think about how much that would cost in even today's dollars. Well, shit, in San Francisco today, you know, you're talking, you know, that's like a 1.5 million dollar condo yeah. minimum. With that view, maybe two or two, two and a half, three. Um, Yeah, I've always. I understand that you can't spend like four minutes on a realistic fist fight, you know, that yeah. renders someone unconscious. But it never ceases to irritate me when sure. someone just gets whacked and it is knocked out. What the hell? Who who drives a handsome cab? <laughs> Come on, well, it's an android. Maybe and it's an a, android horse? Maybe it's a hologram. <laughs> It's a horse. You're not going to make a horse do that in the 24th century. It's well, there, hey, there are plenty of people who wonder why we make horses do that now. Yeah. It's inhumane. I, you can't tell me that in this enlightened society, they like, I might believe that a human wants to drive a handsome cab, but I can't believe that this society would allow that horse to be put in that situation. It's an android horse. <sighs> Wouldn't that be a an equinoid? Yeah, equinoid. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad you know us? <laughs> I wonder if there's still horse racing. But there's horse racing. That's not replicable. But is it humane? I mean, we got to get Nikki on this, I guess. But it doesn't seem humane to to breed horses for that purpose. When well, maybe the Vulcans can mind meld with the horses and find out if they if like they it consent. or not. Well, the Betazoids don't like to sense animals. They get too involved with the shifting passions of the beast, right? Like, I can get Cork as a bartender, because out here maybe you don't have all the resources. He's still replicating stuff, but he has a certain stock of real stuff. Yeah. They're paying with currency because it's a holdover of certain societies, but the Federation is definitively beyond this, you know? What do they... Do they pay for their clams? And with what? Yeah. And this is why the only reasonable thing I can imagine is that there's some sort of either social currency like likes or something or there's some sort of centrally planned uh, like value assignment you know like you're doing something that is valuable to the social fabric of the city creating this restaurant and so you are granted a certain amount of points to spend on real estate or transporter use or whatever Right? Like, like it's and that's like, why the fuck you would ever be a waiter. Like, like the deal, like restaurant. yeah, like the deal is you can have this building with the restaurant in it if you run the restaurant, maybe. Yeah, like in the way that the University of Chicago, you know, will pay for someone to have a burger joint on Fifty Third Street. You know, it's like, like there's there's a certain social value that you know redounds and ripples through, and it's yeah. we we've calculated it somehow. And yes, Richard, you know, I know that it's impossible to know exactly what the value of a service is until and unless you have price, you know, equilibrium between rational actors and whatever the fuck the libertarians want to say. That's the only thing I can come up yeah. with. It's the only, you know, if they don't have currency and if the only things that are scarce are certain very, you know, esoteric resources. You're missing me. Yes. I know. Okay. I'm glad this didn't drag. Uh, like, I'm glad the buildup didn't drag on too long. At least the this snapped pretty quickly. I think it, it's good. Like, I, I just like like even like it 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 feels just this side of cartoonishly evil to like 
stockpile weapons on the hospital moon, but it's not outside the line for the Romulans as established. Yeah, I don't mind that. It's, uh... And again, it makes complete sense, and I'm almost glad they don't belabor the point with exposition. It makes complete sense that this is Kira's reaction to an outside force fortifying a Majoran moon. Because all she sees is occupation of the sequel. That makes sense. The one thing, my criticism of this is that, I mean, and we've criticized this before, is that the whole Damar Wayun thing all seems to take place in this one little room, you know? And that it doesn't do much to make Cardassia feel like a real place. It's like we've got this room and we've got our, you know, like. Cardassian bar decoration over there and we talk about strategy and stuff. So they're gonna go to Tyree. Actually kind of like both the elder the eldest and the youngest Cisco's civilian wear right now. That jacket on Captain Cisco is a little... That's a bizarre... I mean, look, we're thinking about things in terms of current fashion, and you would never have a jacket without a collar, basically. Yeah. Some kind of collar. But I, I like I like uh, Joseph's uh, top. Well, so here's Nicole DeBoer. I mean, she is cute as cute can be, isn't she? I kind of object to the idea of the of the new host of the Dax Symbiont coming back because if you like, we had a whole episode how you're not supposed to meet your old friends and relive your old life, and it made sense for Cisco because it felt like they still they had some time apart. Like it wasn't like Jadzia joined because it wasn't even like him and Curzon were like still seeing each other every day because obviously Cisco had been promoted and got a new job and so like. They maintained a friendship, but it was a little more distant than daily contact, so this relationship with Jetsy would be new. This just feels like we want to continue all of Dax's relationships, but Terry Farrell with a new actress. Yeah. No, I agree with that. So, let me just say at the end of this episode, this episode seems clearly incomplete as a solo story, you know? Yeah, it's, it's laying this a lot This is clearly of, the first part of something. At least what turns into a three-part. Yeah. Um... If they had said to be continued, would you feel better? <laughs> well, they basically said it. <laughs> uh, I don't think, I, you know. I, this is maybe, the, maybe. This is the trade off for serialized storytelling. Will the best iterations of a serialized storytelling be also complete stories? Sure, but I just don't think you can ask that of a serial. Every single episode. No, and that might have been depressing the ratings on Deep Space Nine a little bit, is that we try to look at things as individual episodes, and that's not what this show is trying to do. Whereas every other show has done it, and it will present an interesting challenge for the new series, too, yeah. which is supposed to be like one 13-episode story arc or something. Mm. Um, I, I still feel like, though, it's fair to take an episode on its own individual merits, even if it's part of a larger whole. And, you know... There's certainly good stuff here, but how good is it? You know, like, if this was just on and then you didn't watch the next episode, would this episode stick in your mind? You know? Like, nothing's resolved. Yeah, I mean, collectively, the three-parter feels like an interesting thing to think about for me. So I, I does guess... That, I, does every single episode need some conclusive element to it to be a good episode. I think those will be by definition the best, but that's like when we say the best episodes are the ones that do both way out sci-fi and good character development, but we still like episodes that do one over the other. Yeah. Like, especially because it's the first episode of the season, I'm more forgiving. And like you, if you can get to a place where you can resolve a B or C plot successfully in your serial contribution that's yeah, better. Yeah, well, that's kind of what what I would look for. It's like, I would want this episode to, like, resolve Worf's morning or resolve, you know, whatever, right? Like, whatever thread is going on to resolve a thread. Not all the threads, because, yes, they need to... Con 
it's like I want the tapestry of a continuing arc to have. But, but I think that's a little unfair to ask of the premiere, because sure, yeah, like there's just there's nothing to resolve. Yeah, like you can't resolve anything because well, you haven't set it up I, yet. You know, I I don't know if that's fair either because I mean the teaser was eight minutes long and four minutes of it was like recapping all the shit that went on in season six. So it's clear they've got stuff to resolve. Um, okay, look, I like the episode in that there seems to be definite progress, you know, in the story, right? Yeah. It's like Cisco left the station and we have good scenes of Cisco on earth in the restaurant, right? Like yeah. that was good stuff. I liked that. Well, and it did not resolve that storyline, but he is now leaving earth. At least they've quickly moved. I on. guess that's true. There's definitely a sense of progress in the story. So I'm into that. Um, you know, we can't fault this episode for the eventual sort of weird Bajor Jesus thing that they turn Cisco into. Yeah. Um, you know, at least right now, his journey is interesting. Yeah. Um, I like where they went with Worf to some degree. I, of course, I think the Vic Fontaine stuff was weird that he cares about his holographic bar. Holographic bar being trashed because what's the difference? Um, I, look, I would give this episode like an extra point just for somehow settling some aspect of future economics. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, am I being unfair? I don't think I'm being unfair. It's like if you have a restaurant that serves real food on Earth, I feel like it's incumbent upon you to just explain even even in a passing line of dialogue that only evokes the explanation. Yeah. You know, like I get that you don't have ten minutes to do a dissertation on scarcity in the future, but like a line, like some guy who wants his pay or or something, you know. I mean, they did it with Cisco and Cork. You know, like Cork has a franchise because he's providing value and he's an anchor, you know, to the station and <laughs> all that stuff, right? Something like that. I, don't know. I guess that's my own personal beef. Um, I, I feel less inclined to hold individual episodes responsible for more systemic failures of the show. Like, should they have explained it somewhere? Sure, but I don't know how fair it is to ding this episode well, years after finding out about the existence of Cisco's restaurant for a problem we identified back when we found Cisco's restaurant. Yeah, but we're back there, so why not take care of it? You know, if I were in the writer's room, I'd be like, hey guys, can we somehow try to explain the fact that there's a fucking restaurant? I guarantee you the guy who raises his hand who said, let's spend three of our precious 41 no, minutes. No, not three minutes, <laughs> like eight seconds, you know, like half a line of dialogue. I... Look, I am a Star Trek fan. If nothing else, I'm a Star Trek fan. And I know that there are Star Trek fans who would love for them to go there. Okay. Just for a few seconds. It would be great if they did. It's not a vital requirement I, for me. I'm yeah. just saying it would, yeah. it, would, it would be a bonus point for the episode for me. Um, Production-wise, you know, I think it was pretty solid. I liked the location. Yeah, a lot of places. I liked Cisco's tablets that he was doing this yeah. facial reconstruction on. Um, there were some decent ship shots, you know, yeah. all establishing shots, of course. There were no battles or anything. Which um, is kind of good. I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I mean, we definitely needed a a, recal you know, a reset after a bunch of action-packed stuff in the prior episodes. Uh, I... As the first episode of season, I think it sets up interesting questions and storylines. So I think it's successful in that respect. Yeah. Like, there's an energy. They, they never hold the scene longer than it's needed. I never felt bored by this episode. Well, but they also didn't, like, end scenes arbitrarily. Yeah. You know, like, someone trails off and just stops explaining something, you know, which is one of the sins of yeah, you're thinking about he who shall not be named. Yeah. Uh, yeah. J.J. Abrams says, "I just named him. Sorry." Like I would, yeah. I as as much ambivalence as I have in my memory toward this trilogy, none of those concerns occurred to me in this episode. Well, you know what? I remember in my first watch through, and then my second watch through with Kelly. I remember 
liking the sense of forward momentum in the story. It's like, oh, this, you know, shit's happening. Yeah, I I'll, like I'll this. say this. Everyone's political and emotional reactions makes internal sense for the characters that they've established to this point. Uh, Worf is upset about the death of his wife. His friends are concerned about him. Uh, Kira has risen in position and now finds herself at the uh, in the middle of a conflict that she doesn't necessarily have control over, and she is stressed by it. Those are all interesting things. Like, hey, they're doing stuff with the Romulans. One of our biggest complaints of late TNG was like, why don't you do more with the Romulans? They're such a more interesting villain. Um, and well, it's it's a perfect Romulan plot. But we know that they're going to disappear. In this episode, they're here. So yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Um, Acting-wise, uh, I thought Brock Peters was probably the standout. Yeah, yeah, he was great. He definitely had that uh, old man teetering on the brink sort of feel in his emotional scenes. But then he sort of pulled it together and had sort of a... Heart Strong heart, father yeah. figure, and like, uh, like what, and they, like uh, all the Cisco's interacting with each other has always been lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Akira was good. She she's very good at uh, barely contained emotion, yeah, as opposed to big dramatic over emoting. And she did a great job here. She was pissed, and it was apparent and fun to watch. I think uh, you know, call me, uh, you know, was very effective in his friend. Role, yeah. I yeah, I don't know how much Michael Dorn got to do, in some ways. He was upset in the bar and he trashed the place, but I feel like he needs more dialogue. I I guess we've just always already seen the sort of stoic, yeah, silent work. He did good comedy work with Calmini when he takes like yeah. the one swig. Excellent visit, chief. Like that, that was funny. That was a good scene, and it was good funny. It was like a little moment to. Let a little out, like it was good comic relief because it didn't derail the momentum of the episode. So I guess, all told, I'm between a three and a four on this. Um, I'm gonna go with the four. Yeah, I think it's a four too. I think there's there's a lot of stuff happening that is brisk and entertaining. And it feels purposeful. Yeah. It doesn't feel like the writers were just. They're not pulling shit out of there. Yeah, we didn't paint ourselves into a corner. Now we have to fix it. They, they really feel like they're taking these characters somewhere. So, yeah, yeah I feel comfortable with the four. Now, I'll be honest, I don't, rec- I don't think I'm going to stick with that over the course of the three-episode arc. Um, well, we'll see, I guess. By the time we're digging in the sand with tiny shawls. See, that does stick in my mind, though. You know, <laughs> it's like, it is memorable. So there's that. I did like their uh, desert jammies. Like, I really wanted to send those for, like, when it gets really hot in Chicago. I just want to wear, like, a t-shirt and shorts, and then to have that over it is, like, my formal wear. Did they have rank color stripes? Yeah, yeah, they had divisional stripes, yeah. yeah. And I remember that, too, see? So, you know, (laughs) whatever else is the fault of those two episodes, there was something memorable about them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't remember much of the non-Dominion War stories in this season. But I do remember this yeah. arc, so yeah. Um, you know, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, so, yeah, I think it's a four. I agree. Um, As a side note, can I point out how ugly these graphics are that we're staring at? Yeah, the DB menus. Oh, the Shattergram, as they are referred to. DS9 or... I mean, it makes sense. They're, ugly. they're ugly to human eyes, because I think they're supposed <laughs> to be. Is um, it really a good organization of information, though? Ooh. Like. Just trying to follow it with the arrows on your remote. Oh, no. As a DVD menu, it's not the best. <laughs> also, these were the worst cases. They broke... Oh, the DS9 cases were horrible. Yeah, like, like simply using them as a case made them break. They, they were very fragile, sort of brittle plastic. Uh, you know, I don't know who recalls these things. It's, it's all on Netflix now, for now. So, I guess... Uh, yeah? Or is it? No, they've taken the shows off? No, no, the shows are still there, the movie, the TOS movies. TOS are movies are gone, TNG movies are up, and the shows are up. Yeah. Okay. And if Netflix outside the U.S. is getting Discovery, that's offensive. Yeah. Once again, America subsidizes the world. I guess we should uh, stop defending them, you know, against Russia or something. Well, no, we should stop. No, once again, America should stop trying to squeeze every goddamn dollar can out of every possible sub interaction, and understand that giving people like you're already making money off of it. I can't like just the idea that you're going to coerce me into subscribing to an additional TV service. 
Like, at least put it on Hulu, for God's sake. Well, which is now on Yahoo. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. Look, I'm let it be known that Kevin and I are outraged. definitely planning to split a subscription <laughs> just to stick it to CBS. I will only pay $3 a month, not $6 a month for your service. <laughs> and I don't know if we'll podcast every episode or just some. I know, we'll see. That uh, might be fun to try. I, I have to admit, I'm starting... Despite my prefrontal cortex <laughs> to, to form like hopeful thoughts yeah, about it, yeah. uh, I, I just you know my prefrontal cortex keeps saying your hopes have been dashed, your hopes have been dashed, your hopes have been dashed. You know, don't don't uh, lower your expectations. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, okay, so an eight for Image in the Sand, a reasonably good beginning to season seven, uh, some interesting threads, and we'll see how well they are carried out. Okay, have a good night, everyone. Joel and True.